Hello, and welcome to the Alt Left. Welcome back, everyone, to the Alt Left. This is episode 120. That's right, round numbers, we're out of the teens. Finally, mid-season two, we're hitting a stride. Isn't we're out of ideas, but we're here, and our numbers are still just numerical. <laughs> <laughs> I am obviously your host, Chris. Uh, with me, as always, is Drew. Hello, everybody. And the Reverend Dr. K. Good evening, everyone. So, there's actually some new things happening this week, but before we go into new stuff, let's talk about depressing old stuff. Uh, as we all know, South Africa has taken Israel to the International Court of Justice, which is actually, believe it or not, I mean, hypothetically, because the UN does whatever we tell them to do, but it is, <laughs> under its own bylaws, the highest court uh, in the UN, the highest body there is. Um, and uh, Israel is obviously saying, this is bullshit, and, you know, we're just out there passing out flowers and petting kittens, and the only people we killed were bad ones, and everyone else is just, don't exist and and we're we're good and you should just throw the case out and obviously the US is defending them it's actually really cool that like post apartheid south africa is bringing these charges and irish lawyers are the ones mounting the case cuz i mean literally you're talking about a post apartheid nation levying charges being backed by a currently fellow occupied state cuz Let's face it, Ireland is still an occupied nation from England. It is ridiculous, and it is illegal. In fact, didn't, uh, Drew, uh, correct me on this one, you're more up to date on Irish uh, politics. Didn't, didn't they actually finally hold their vote where the majority of people uh, voted to separate, which uh, the UK always said they would recognize if they did, and they've ignored it this time? Uh, not quite. In the most recent Northern Irish elections to their equivalent of the House of Commons, uh, which is called, I believe, Stormont House or Honeyroot. I don't know. I forget. You know, each one of the uh, constituents of the Some United delightfully Kingdom. Irish name. Yeah. Each one of the constituents <laughs> of the United Kingdom has their own equivalent of a House of Commons. And in Northern mm-hmm. Ireland, Sinn Féin won the majority outright for the first time, which will then br- uh, next obviously lead to unification votes with uh, the rest of the Republic that the UK will probably promptly ignore. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Just remember... If someone tells you they're Republican, if they have an Irish accent, they're probably on your side. Most likely. And uh, it should be noted that the uh, lead barrister for the Irish delegation that's helping the uh, South Africans actually became a barrister because she personally witnessed a 12-year-old being shot in the back by uh, British soldiers during the Troubles and saw nothing happen because of it. And that's the entire reason why she started her law career. It's actually one of the things that uh, imperialists don't seem to get. I don't understand it. It's like when you create orphans and childless parents, you create enemies. By constantly murdering innocent people, you are literally funding the recruitment numbers for your enemy. I mean, there's a reason why everyone in Gaza, besides the fact that they're starving under constant bombardment and living as not even second class citizens, living as a captive population in Gaza. Israel has also killed their families. I mean, these are children who've grown up without parents, taking care of siblings, missing limbs, and they were children as they were shot at and maimed. You know, parents who've had their children and grandchildren blown up in front of them, and it's like, and you wonder why 
such a mass swaying opinion is that you're evil, you can't maim a population and not expect the resistance against you to grow. But let's go a little less esoteric here. One of the cool pieces of news coming from this um, is that Germany, <laughs> you know, I always joke that I have an intolerance for Germany as a garbage place full of garbage people, but they're really kind of proving my point here and making me feel a little less crazy because uh, they've decided to defend Israel uh, in the national court. Uh, Germany has come out on the side of Israel. This is not a genocide. This is justified, and Israel are the good guys. Well, to be fair, if anybody knows anything about genocide, it's Germany. Well, ironic you'd say that because uh, one of the cool things that's happened because of this like head-shaking, jaw-dropping, like, I can't think of a worse way for you to create public relations. Like, anytime someone is up for genocide in an international court, if Germany's not going to be the anti-genocide, it would be wise of them to shut up. Um, and this is not good for their public opinion. But, yeah, they've sided with genocide. Um, but the cool thing is, is um, Nambia, uh, the African country, has come out uh, and has been slamming and condemning Germany. And the reason why Nambia is important is a lot of people don't know about it. You know, people equate Germany's um, genocidal nature with only the Holocaust, right? That it was a, it was a one-off. There was just this angry dude. We were going through a dark place. Our girlfriend broke up with us. We were doing a lot of drinking, listening to a lot of Bavarian death metal. It just—it was a bad time, but we got better. Though that's not who we are. Oh, it's totally who Germany is, and it's who Europe is. Like this isn't even like Germany is unique in this. I mean, you know, before the Holocaust was the Armenian genocide that Turkey carried out in World War II. England carried out a massive famine on purpose just for funsies against India, where they starved millions. Stalin killed a ton in the Holodomor. Like, that's what European imperial powers did. They didn't care about just killing entire swaths of people because no one had coined genocide yet. It wasn't a crime. It was just a thing that happens. A bigger guy comes in, everyone dies. That was a fact of the universe. It's a disgusting fact of the universe, but that's that's where the world was in the 19th century. And so, ironically, though, the first one to be counted was the German uh, genocide of Nambia, which, <clears throat> interesting, Germany has denied up until recently. I mean, this, uh, by the way, this is the first genocide of the 20th century. Okay, This happened between 1904 and 1908. Um, so it was really how we kicked off the 20th century, which, you know, honestly, should have just been called spoilers, um, where Germany <laughs> went in and just killed tens of thousands of Namians um, as collective punishment. They were in a bit of a war. It wasn't a big war. But because of that, they went in and just started wiping out the entire civilian population as far as they could. Um, again, killing tens of thousands of civilian women, children, farmers, right? Um, and then starve them in inhumane and brutal conditions. And basically, Germany completely denied this even existed until uh, 2015, is when they finally said, okay, maybe some people died. Maybe we did some of it. <laughs> but they've refused to call it a genocide, um, because calling it a genocide has legal ramifications of reparations, and Germany does not want to pay those. Um so there's still a thing going. But yeah, Nambia has basically come out and just pointed out that Germany isn't capable of looking on their own past. And that the Holocaust is an outlier of the one time Germany has faced accountability. And that they actually have a long history of supporting genocide and killing people. And it's become very public. And it's a, uh, a beautiful, deserving 
egg on the face of uh, of the Deutschlanders. And another, uh, it's another feather in the hat of uh, the anti-colonial sentiment that has swept through Africa over the last few decades, and rightfully so. They should absolutely be speaking up to their history, and I'm glad that they're finally getting the airtime that they deserve for it. Yeah, I'm just like, you know, there's that comic where it's, you know, someone's getting reamed and the other people are sweating around the corner. It's like, I'm just imagining like Spain, England, Denmark freaking out like, ooh, Belgium, (laughs) France. (laughs) What's that, Algiers? Nothing, nothing. Um, But uh, I just find that interesting. It's cool that that's gaining traction. So few people give a shit about the horrifying colonial history of Western Europe in Africa, and I'm just glad to see that. What else is going on in the, uh, the ICJ, Drew? Well, um, each side had a day to present their arguments, so South Africa went first uh, because they were the uh, prosecuting gun team. Uh, the next day, obviously, was Israel's defense, and they started off their defense by obviously saying, no, this is not a genocide, we're defending ourselves from genocide, you know, the usual rhetoric saying that they have taken unprecedented steps to minimize civilian casualties despite their um, enemy hiding amongst uh, these civilians. And, oh, uh, they took pains to point out that just because all of their top government officials have said things about genocide and compared to all um, Palestinians in Gaza to animals and saying that everyone is liable and that they should be slaughtered like the animals they are, man, women, and child. And despite there being videos of uh, Israeli troops dancing and cheering when um, neighborhoods in Gaza are exploded, you know, you just ignore all that. that that's and not the fact offic- that they've been passing out free machine guns to Israeli settlers on illegal land, and there's all these videos coming out of settlers constantly murdering and robbing and looting Palestinians. Right, you should ignore that, because that's not official government policy. The government has not specifically said we are out to genocide Gaza, so that's not actually what is going on there, and you should just ignore this and drop all the charges. That's, that was literally the entirety of Israel's defense. Uh, there was one where Israel basically defends himself saying that, like, yes, we've killed 24,000 Palestinians, but, like, 900 of them are fighters. But it is, like, important to note that it, it, today is actually the day we are recording this, right? Which is uh, Sunday the 14th. Um, this is the 100 day of this bombardment from Israel. And in 100 days, they've killed 24,000 Palestinians. 24,000, most of them women and children, because that's most of who's left in Palestine. Most of the men have already been kidnapped, arrested, or murdered um, years ago. Uh, uh, Gaza and Palestine have mostly a female and child population. Um, I forgot the number. Uh, the UN has already no- like taken note of how many family lines have been wiped out in entirety, uh, which is, by the way, part of the genocide. That is one of the definitions of genocide is to punish collectively, to destroy national landmarks of culture, to end family lineages. Um, And yeah, 24,000 civilians have been murdered in 100 days. And let's not just talk about the deaths, right? Because Israel's been forcing these people to move to refugee camps. There's no food. There's no water. They've destroyed, God, what is it, like 80 or 90% of the housing? Uh, according to the Gaza Health Ministry, 85%, yes. Yeah, 80, wow, talk about right in the middle. Yeah, 85% of housing has been destroyed. So, like, let's just say this ended tomorrow. There's no more homes for people to go back to. They've created a nation of permanent refugees. 
And by the way, that, that, that 24,000 people is killed. There's also been 60,000 injuries. And by the way, these injuries are like limbs being blown off. Like, these aren't, these aren't non-wartime injuries. The, 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 the hospitals are not recording hangnails and uh, broken toes as injuries. These are people with limbs blown off, shrapnel inside of them, burn victims, that kind of thing. People pulled out of rubble. Um, 60,000 injuries. Almost 9,000 of them were children. So, Chris, uh, 47 families consisting of over 500 civilians uh, is what you're talking about. Yep. The UN has already said that in, uh, in the tent camps, by the way, this isn't even people who are still like, struggling in the cities. In the tent camps where there's supposed to be aid, 9 out of 10 people are going for 24 hours or more without food. They're eating several times a week. Yeah, because there isn't any to be had. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. There is. Israel's not letting it come in, or they're claiming that uh, the logistical difficulties of Hamas being embedded means that they can't let aid come in. But there's plenty of aid. Egypt, like, oh. basically day one of uh, the war in Gaza, Egypt was like, okay, here's a whole bunch of food and medicine and everything. Just let us in. We will deliver it ourselves. And Israel's like, no. Well, and Israel has cut off power. They've cut off water. They've cut off internet access. Oh, uh, they're targeting journalists, so news can't get out. I mean, this is it, it it boggles me how anyone who is not an avid Israeli Zionist like I get why there's lots of Americans who support Israel because lots of Americans are fucking fascists and they're Zionists, so it tr- it makes sense. It's unconscionable, but like it makes logical sense. Like, no, I get it. Like, you have family in Israel and you have been raised on fucking both American and Israeli propaganda about this. Like, no, I, I totally get it. I see why you suck. You know, just like I get why someone who's six generations of clan and lives in Kentucky might be racist. Like, I get it. It sucks. I don't like it. But that that tracks. That's how human beings work. It blows me away how anybody who doesn't have skin in the game is pro-Israel. Because this is so objectively dark and evil. This is... I mean, this makes our invasion of Afghanistan look justified. Like, this is nuts. Like, American foreign policy of recent can't touch what Israel's doing. Here's another one that uh, should give anybody who supports Israel pause. They're even jailing their own citizens for speaking out. There was a uh, history teacher who made some posts on Facebook opposing the military operations in Gaza, and the uh, police came one night, and they just took him, and he's currently sitting in solitary confinement without charge because he said maybe this war is bad. Yeah. I mean, it's... Someone once had a perfect quote saying hyperbole is bad because once everyone's Hitler, when Hitler shows up, no one cares, you know. But without hyperbole, I mean, they are literally following the doctrine of Nazi Germany on this. Um, That is, Israel has become the enemy they fled. Um, And I guess they always have. I mean, let's face it, it's a land-stealing ethno-state. What else could they do, right? This is where we're at. Um, The International Court for Justice isn't going to actually bear any fruit, in terms of forcing them to stop, because America runs the UN, and we really like selling them munitions, so that's not going to go anywhere. Um, no, but the best they would be able to do is order a ceasefire while they actually make a judgment for uh, as to whether or not a genocide is occurring, which that judgment itself could take years, but an injunction could happen in weeks. But yes. it will probably be ignored by Israel, just like Russia ignored uh, a similar sentiment by the international court in their war in Ukraine, and it only works so long as the world community is willing to actually enforce it, and that's just not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, Ukraine's a perfect example. The whole Western world is against Russia, 
and wants to support Ukraine, and they're incapable of stopping it. They're at least sending munitions and aid and things like that, but they're incapable of doing anything. No one wants to go to direct war with Russia, and so here we are. And so now, how are they going to react to Israel, who they actually support? Nothing's going to happen. But it will be nice for history that the UN did condemn them in real time and did acknowledge the genocide as it happened, which is not usual. Genocides are usually acknowledged after the war is over. But, in Israel news, um, <laughs> Biden strikes again. Um, so, you've probably been hearing in the news about a group called the Houthis. Um, the Houthis. Uh, basically, they're from Yemen, which Yemen is another place that, I mean, God, I think the UN called it like the, the greatest humanitarian crisis to date. Um, the civil war in Yemen or something like that. I believe so, yeah. Yemen's been in civil war since the Obama administration. Um, there is a Iranian backside and there is a Saudi Arabian backside. Um, and you know, Iran and Saudi Arabia do not like each other because Iran is basically the leader of, of that era of that world, you know, the anti-Western, uh, Middle East and Saudi Arabia are the American puppets who are very wealthy and tend to run the pro Western, uh, edge of the Middle East. So, you know, Iran is allies with you know, countries like Pakistan, Yemen, that kind of thing, where, you know, um, you know, Libyan, like Libya, that kind of thing. Um, and where Saudi Arabia is, you know, aligned with Kuwait and is allied with um, Dubai and nations like that, United Arab Emirates. So there's kind of this big division in the Middle East, and we could do an entire podcast just on that. But the, the, the Houthis have basically been the victorious side of the Civil War, which has been bloody, it's been awful. By the way, the U.S. has supplied and supported both of it. It's actually funny. Uh, the civil war in Yemen has basically been the CIA versus the Pentagon. Uh, the Pentagon has supported publicly the Saudi Arabian side, and the, U the CIA has been caught supporting and funding uh, the, the anti-Saudi Saudi side. Um, but anyway, the president was finally deposed. Uh, the Houthis have taken over like 80% of the country. They hold the capital. I mean, the Civil War's pretty much over. They've actually had a ceasefire for a little bit now, which is good because everyone's starving to death. And what they've done is allied themselves with, uh, with Palestine and have taken to attacking Israeli ships. Uh, trade ships, uh, ships that are either coming from Israel to trade out or ships going in to trade. Any, any ship bound for or coming from Israel is being attacked um, in the Red Sea, uh, just as in support. Like They basically said, like, we will not stand by and allow this genocide to happen. And so they are totally, and they, so they've actually seized several. One of them, uh, they actually brought back and it became a tourist attraction. They actually seized the ship, brought it back, and have opened it up to tourists to come check out the Israeli trade ship. This just started this last month. The U.S. started putting together a coalition of like 20 countries, whatever. You know, Canada donated a ship or whatever. And what they've done is they've been attacking the ships. And so now Joe Biden has taken it upon himself to not only fund a genocide, but he now has sent out airstrikes multiple times. And we've been blowing up the Houthi spaces um, and their ability to strike out against Israeli merchant ships. I can't say that I'm surprised because I think at this point, if the United States government slash Biden allows like Israel to fall unless they just like outwardly stop and just turn around and do a whole 180. I don't think that they can. It's like almost like losing too much face. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So they have to continue to move forward and continue to stop the Palestinians from being able to win. 
Yeah. So they 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 have to continue to help Israel <clears throat> almost. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Yemen sits at that perfect. I mean, they're south of Saudi Arabia, they're north of Somalia. Like they sit right yeah. on that 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 Red Sea J curve um, that heads, you know, in into the into the Suez Canal by Egypt. And so it's a perfect place for you know aid to come through and to attack ships. And and yeah, they've again these guys have just. I mean, they're finishing a civil war right now. Um, peace talks have been happening for a bit. They've actually already exchanged hostages. Like the war is pretty much winding down. And so they've got like sixty thousand fighters. And so they're now just launching them at ships uh, going in and out of Egypt. And now we are blowing them up to defend uh, Israel. So in case you're seeing that in the news, that's what's basically going on, is we are now fighting Israel's war for them uh, against the starving Yemenis. Because, of course, in, we are. In the, in the oceans. Yeah. Well, yeah, we um, can't, and we're never going to have uh, actual troops in Israel. That's never going to happen, but we can always show our support in other ways. But it's okay. I mean, to be fair, America's the good guys. Um, basically, the, spe- uh, the White House Speaker, uh, Kirby, or sorry, the, the National Security Council spokesman, uh, Kirby, uh, made a statement that uh, the U.S. has been speaking intensely with Israel about a transition to lower-intensity operations. Sure, while our Secretary of State had also said that any allegations of genocide are entirely baseless. Yes, but even so, we are intently talking to Israel about lower-intensity murder. We will absolutely yeah. be disappointed. And so, therefore... Nobody should question Biden's commitment to peace, and we shouldn't even talk about a ceasefire, because don't worry, Genocide Joe's on it. It is forthcoming. Any day now. (laughs) He's going to release his two-week plan for peace in the Middle East. Yep. So that's what's going on in the Middle East. Uh, Don't worry, it's going to get worse, and we'll have those updates for you. Uh, What's going on domestically, Drew? Well, tomorrow is the uh, Iowa caucuses, which officially kicks off our presidential season. Isn't that where Caucasians come from? The 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 Caucasus. The Caucasus. The Caucasus Mountains. <laughs> the mountains of the Caucasus. Well, especially as it applies to Iowa, yeah, that's where all the white people <laughs> yes. come from. The Caucatorial Mountains. Iowanese. Now, granted, in America, elections are a national pastime. It's not baseball. It's not football. It's not any of our professional sports. It's fucking elections, how, and we all know how that. How dare you make light of this? This is the most important election of our lifetimes. Is it? I've lost track of how many most important elections in my lifetime there have been. But I thought this time the last for real, this time important. it's going to be Biden versus Trump. That's never happened before. <laughs> this is the most important election of our lifetimes. If we don't elect Biden, who else is going to blow up starving people for Israel? Well, I mean, arguably any of the other candidates that aren't. Well, yes, but one of them's really mean on Twitter, and that can't happen. You can't have a guy who's mean on Twitter bombing poor people. It has to be someone who's nice on Twitter. <laughs> you know what? You've convinced me. Vote blue, no matter who. Blue, no matter who. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, obviously, we'll we will get more into this probably in the upcoming episodes. We'll, you know, I would like to do little segments on obviously Biden and his current policies, Trump and his current policies. I want to talk about Cornell West. I want to talk about RFK Jr. Mm, and you know, we can sp- we can spend like two or three minutes talking about the GOP also rands. Uh, you know, none of them are going to get anywhere close to the nomination or even the VP nod at this point. So. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time on them. The, uh, the four that are actually running deserve a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, that's... who are. Can we call our election coverage, drop your socuses and grab your caucuses? Yes, absolutely we should. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, tell me about uh, the rich cultural diversity land of Iowa. Well, uh, the, the way the Iowa caucuses work is it's not like other uh, primaries where you go in, you... 
you know, get your little punch card and you cast your vote or whatever. Uh, the Iowa caucuses are more like a debate where everybody gets into a room and basically you've got people that are hype men for your various candidates and you get together and then eventually you get to a majority in each precinct and that's how their delegates are apportioned. It's kind of an interesting stab at direct democracy, but it also just seems like a whole lot of peer pressure as they will keep going until they get a majority in each precinct. And obviously... That sounds insane. It does sound insane. Like I said, I find it fascinating, but I also find it very knitting circle being shunned by your community if you don't vote the right way. Because nothing there is secret. It's not... Like I said, you don't go to a booth, you don't cast your vote. It's essentially, okay, who likes Trump? Raise your hand. Who likes DeSantis? Raise your hand. And, And then, you know, there's debates on why you're wrong to think the way that you do. So, like I said, it's weird. It's one of those things that's kind of unique amongst uh, primaries within the American primary system, at least, because there are relatively few places that actually have caucuses. There's even fewer places that have open primaries like California. The other one, I believe Louisiana has something similar as well, where it's top two. But uh, And so I was interesting, and I'm curious to see by how much Trump is going to win, because I think it's pretty much a given that he's going to. Oh, yeah, 100%. There might be a couple of other early states that he might lose and then claim that there was cheating and everything because that's what he always does. But Iowa, I think, is pretty much in the bag for him. I mean, the good thing about Trump winning is that it's going to make DeSantis so sad, and I just can't wait to see his frowny faces. I actually have a funny little uh, anecdote about DeSantis. I was, you know, doing a little bit of research today, and I saw a, uh, it was just, you know, a little quick uh, video. Uh, There was a guy who interrupted some of his campaigning in Iowa to present him with a participation trophy. <laughs> and obviously DeSantis being the way he is, he was sat there with that robotic smile on his face and didn't respond or anything like that. His wife actually had to step in front of uh, DeSantis to try and shoo away the dude. And eventually, obviously he was escorted out by security, but uh, he didn't fall over on his platform boots. No, like, it, it could have been an easy win for DeSantis. He could have taken it, he could have laughed, and then he could have launched into a speech on how it's not going to be a participation trophy and, you know, things like that. But he can't do that because he's Hell, outside he of his comfort He could have launched onto a speech about how this is what's wrong with the primaries and why people need to get out and vote for him because this idea that someone already has in the bag is anti-democratic and, like, here's all my policies and here's why I'm going to be so great, like... Yeah, he could have done literally everything instead of he just sat there like the animatronic castle that he is. But he's, yeah, because he doesn't have anything. He has nothing to offer. He literally has come to prominence just by fueling culture war bullshit. That's all it is. Brown people bad. Gay people bad. Burn books. That's all he has. He doesn't actually have any winning policies or things that people actually like. He is just profiting off the culture war. And he does it in a way that is still less than Trump does. So it's like, congrats, you're the second best troll. That's not going to get the votes in. No, not at all. Um, Trump's biggest rival right now is Nikki Haley, who, again, is not going to win because she's brown and a woman. So you got those two reasons why the GOP will never actually select her. But uh, she has overtaken DeSantis and done so fairly handily just because she actually has policies. Now, our policies are horrifying and in line with any other corporatist GOP candidate. But she, at the very least, can differentiate herself from everybody who wants to be the next Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nikki Haley's trying. And, I mean, did you see the, the, the hot mic, Chris Christie, before he dropped out? There was a... Yeah, he was hot mic'd and people got a hold of the audio. 
Um, it was it was he was backstage and he was talking to like uh, one of his guys. I think it was his campaign manager, but I'm not sure. And they were talking about like money spent and stuff. And he was like, "Oh yeah," and they because they, he knew they were going to drop out. And he's like, "Look at the money." He's like, "Nikki Haley has spent like 20 million more than DeSantis on TV and revenue ads, and she's absolutely never going to win this shit." And everyone's like, "Oh yeah, she's not." <laughs> no, like it's just like them just talking about what an absolute joke campaign Nikki Haley's is and how much money they've spent for nothing. And he's like, "Yeah," he's like, "We're losing, but at least we've only spent 12 million. We haven't spent." 68 million like she has. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to lose, at least lose on a budget. Yeah. <laughs> so that got really big. It's just great. <laughs> These people know how far behind they are and understand that it is pointless to continue. It just boggles my mind because you would think that they would be, as you always would envision it, you know, fighting to the very bitter end. And I guess maybe that's the difference between somebody who uh, at least has some some common sense and someone who doesn't that stays in it till the end, like Nikki Haley, who's spending millions and millions and millions of more dollars trying to win something she will never win. I mean, mm-hmm. if, they, if they had any common sense, they wouldn't have jumped in in the first place because anybody who looked at any of the polling data knew that it was going to be Trump again. And yeah, it was that's a, what I mean. It was a waste of any sort of time for anybody to run against him right now. The smartest thing for any of them to do would have been to sit back, let Trump flame out again, because he will. He can't help himself. And uh, then run again in four years when it's a fresh Democratic candidate and a fresh Republican candidate, because you can run right there on, yeah. you are that change. You are you know the change that's going to save America after eight years of Joe Biden's nonsense or whatever the hell you and they want to talk about it on their byline. Yeah, but you think Joe Biden's going to win? Uh, I I would say in another matchup between Trump and Biden, Biden probably wins. Uh, Cor- I think he has the advantage. Yeah, Cornell West. So. Uh, Cornell West will um, bleed off some leftist votes because obviously, yeah. and because obviously, and on the right, RFK is going to do the same for the really hardcore. So I think the two of them are going to balance out any lost votes. So it's not going to be you know stolen or you can't really make those claims like when the Green Party actually puts up a candidate that gets more than three votes. I think it's going to be yeah. equal draws on either way, and so I think the advantage goes to Biden. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, I wish it weren't either of them, but at this point, we don't have a choice between the two. Yeah, obviously, we, everybody wishes that it's not either one of them, but it's going to be either one of them, and that's just the fact. In much the same way, in four years, it's probably going to be Gavin Newsom and, I don't know, whatever bland GOP white guy they put up then. Well, and Newsom's been talking a whole lot of smack recently but obviously i think he realizes that there's no way for him to win this year no he's not he's that's he's waiting for biden to go yeah but that's what i mean is because the dnc wants to prop up biden because they're pretty sure he's a win against trump yeah and newsom yeah. i mean he's going to be out of office in 2026 so he has two years to do nothing but presidential campaign as soon correct. as he's out of office correct no, he'll probably run next time he could run for senate but i think he's going to run for president no he's absolutely going to run, run for president. senate because huh? he wants to run for yeah, president. yeah he is 100 percent running for senate and for yeah, president and, it, and if he doesn't make the presidential run he'll be vp because he's a great vp candidate my god he's a dream vp candidate he's young he's good looking he's charismatic and he's from california that is that is a damn good candidate uh for a, a running mate if the you know, if the Democrats decide he's not old enough or whatever, you know, which, again, I don't even like Newsom. 
Um, there's things I like about Newsom. He's one of the most progressive governors in the country. Um, and yeah. he has done things in the past, which are highly commendable. His, you know, his outright refusal to enact prop eight, you know, he has put himself in lineup, but he also, you know, taxes the poor with insane gas taxes. He just approved statewide speed trap cameras. I mean, he, the problem with Newsom is he's a perfect fucking Democrat. He is socially just liberal enough to make him not a Republican, but he's uh-huh. really into wealthy people and he's really into fucking over the poor. So he's honestly a really good Democratic candidate. And yeah. he's good in a debate. He's very quick-witted. He knows his shit. He's highly <clears throat> intelligent and he'll wipe the floor with a Democrat. He already has. I mean, God, he kicked the shit out of DeSantis. That's what I mean. Which I was surprised that debate even went through. Like, what the fuck was the point? Uh, I think it was DeSantis. DeSantis is doing anything. DeSantis is a drowning man reaching for a life raft. Um, <laughs> he was, is desperately no trying reason. to stay relevant in this race. And so he will go up and debate anyone. Do If, if it gets press coverage and if it, he thinks he can get some sound bites out of it, he will do it. Gotcha. So basically any any press is good press. Yeah. DeSantis is just trying to be relevant. Yeah, but in this case, it was it's easy. All you... The, um, his opponents had to say was he lost a debate against someone he's not even running against. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was absolutely no advantage for DeSantis to run, and there was every advantage for Ron Newsom to have that debate. Yeah. Oh, I'm not saying it was wise. Oh, I'm just saying I'm not surprised. <laughs> I suppose yeah. that's fair. Okay, finish me off with a smile. F- finish you off with a smile. Look him yeah. in the eye when you uh, do it. Establish dominance. <laughs> <laughs> give us, give us, give us some good news. So uh, late last year, uh, Democratic Senator from Oregon, uh, Jeff Merkley, I believe is how it's pronounced, and Representative Adam Smith uh, from Washington, uh, they uh, put forth a bill. It's called the End Hedge Fund Control of American Homes Act. And I know that is a mouthful because I've, I've almost practiced that. What this bill would do, if in fact uh, Congress actually goes for it and signs on it, is it says that hedge funds and corporate entities will not be able to own private single-family residences. Okay, so we're not talking about apartment complexes or uh, corporate buildings or industrial, that kind of stuff. We're talking about single-family homes. And... Right now, there's an estimated 750 million active properties for sale in the U.S. The, the hedge funds and private equity firms own or a little under 574,000, so own, you know, a little more than half a million homes in the U.S., and what they do with these homes is they, they've purchased them since about 2008 to you know, current, and then they rent them out. And because they can pay cash, uh, most people that are buying or, excuse me, selling places, you know, homes, when offered cash from a hedge fund, are going to take it over your financing. Yep. And so then they have inflated prices because they they just pay full boat. There's no negotiation, no anything like that. And so they've been able to, to buy up all these homes and then they hire management companies to manage and to rent out these homes. And then what they do is they take the profits from that and they go and they give it back to their hedge fund participants and their equity firms and they they pay out dividends. And this bill would 
require them to sell off 10% of their holdings for the next 10 years. So 10% per year for 10 years, uh, leaving them with no more private single-family homes in their possession. And so this, you know, e the first year we're talking about 57,000 homes across the United States that would have to come up for sale. And if this went through, it, it provides a huge amount of homes to become available for people to purchase. Anybody that is trying to buy a home right now knows that there aren't any available. Uh, there is very few homes in, in, in comparison to two years ago when everybody was selling and everybody was buying and interest rates were low. You know, and interest rates, while they have gotten a little bit better over the last four to six months, are still around 6%, which historically is still actually low because uh, 1980, you couldn't get anything lower than about 10% uh, in an interest rate on purchasing a home no matter who you were. Yeah, which is great, except for the price has gone ten times as high. <laughs> exactly, and that's that's part of the I'd problem. Rather, is, I'd rather you know, pay nine percent on a two hundred thousand dollar house than four percent on a one point five million dollar home. Exactly. So dumping some homes back into the market each year will hopefully help to regulate the housing market. At least it, I I hope that that's what ends up happening. Um, that we'll start to see housing prices not necessarily soften or, or go down massively, but uh, kind of stay the same, but have more availability so that people can actually find a home in their price range. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hopeful. Uh, I'm skeptical. Uh, I'm skeptical I'm as sure well. there's I... many ways to, yes, we sold it to a different hedge fund or, you know, whatever. And I don't think... I don't think the numbers are enough, and I think the damage has already been done. We're already moving into a, a stage oh. of neo-serfdom in this country. But this is still a hopeful piece that at least there are some legislators who are recognizing the problem and are at least yeah. trying to address it. That's that's still hopeful. Yeah. yeah, so the first thing that the bill does, it actually stops any hedge fund from buying a single-family home, period. Mm -hmm. So you, you can't buy, they cannot buy one from that point forward. And then every year that's, like I said, they have to sell off 10% of what they owe for every 10 year, you know, up to 10 years, leaving them with zero in their portfolio. Yep. That's a good thing. Yeah. So, but this doesn't cover anything like, uh, like I said, like apartment complexes, because there's still huge apartment complexes that are yeah. owned by these people. What would be nice is if they were forced to sell off their entire stock of them. I would like to see it all at once, yeah. but I think that that's unrealistic. Yeah, that's never going to happen. Um, no, that's never going to happen. But it would yeah. be nice if it was they have to sell them all by twenty thirty. You know, whatever. Like, well, no, that's, that's the thing is, is they do ten oh, percent. Yeah, it was, uh, oh, each year. The, each yeah, the bill is ten percent each year for ten, 10 years. years. I misheard you. I thought you meant it was ten percent. That was it. Ten percent each no, year. No, no, no. Okay, that's 10 actually a very good. Each thing. year until their portfolio is zero. At a maximum of ten years, you know, time frame, and that is great it, news. it essentially it it keeps there being all of a sudden, you know, five hundred thousand homes and yeah. the market tanking, yeah, owned by people who aren't ever going to live in them. Yeah. So, anyhow, uh, just something that I was hoping um, people saw and. Paid attention to, and if you care about it, maybe contact your representative. Not that that is probably going to help, 
you know a few hundred yeah. people call but you know something it's worth to do. it yeah it's wor- worth it it's worth making a call and it's a good start like i agree having more housing on the market is a good thing but uh, the biggest issue is like chris said they're going to need to tackle the problem with like apartment complexes and condos those sorts of things that are bread and butter and can't will eternally put the poor into debt because they can't buy a house or they can't buy their apartment yeah. or buy a condo. Uh, that's well, just condos, going to be the next thing. Condos are privately owned. Um, Some are. A lot are rented. It's a single fa- No, no, they are, but it's still considered a single family resident. Yes, but what I'm saying is a lot of pe- condos are actually a big... Um, small-time landlording issue. The people will own several condos and rent them all out. Yes. It would still require them to sell those because they're single-family residents. Yeah, which is a good thing. They can own an apartment complex, but they can't own like a condominium or a home or a townhome, that kind of stuff. Because you don't... You own the property... Yeah. And then you're renting it out as a person versus like you own the entire complex building type of thing. Yeah. So, anywho. That's good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And that'll do it for us today. Uh, but uh, this probably won't even be up until after until tomorrow, which is MLK Day. And um, just remember, this is a dude who said that a nation that invests money in the military beyond social well-being is a country on spiritual death. This dude refused to condemn rioters, saying the riot is a language of the unheard. Um, and I want to leave you with the most important MLK quote that you've all heard said a million times, but it does not matter. Do not forget it on MLK Day. It's especially uh, admirable right now when dealing with Israel, Israel and Palestine, where in his famous uh, letter from a, you know a jail cell in Alabama, he wrote that I must confess over the past few years I have gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have always almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's greatest stumbling block is his stride towards freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Shallow misunderstanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. Peace is bullshit. Do not let people tell you to vote blue no matter who. Don't care about what people just want brunch back. It doesn't matter. MLK was not some happy guy who believed in nonviolence. He was a fucking social radical, and don't let anybody make you forget that. Y'all are great. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And remember that the revolution is you. 